Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Mel. I'm Katie. And we're your hosts. This week we watched The Little Prince, directed by Mark Osborne and released in 2015. The plot goes something like this. A serious little girl discovers a new world when her neighbour tells her an extraordinary story. Okay, so The Little Prince is on Netflix at the moment. Um, there was some kind of problem around its release, yeah, I think. It got released last year in France and South America and other places and was due for a February or March release in the States and here as well in Australia when it suddenly got pulled for by its distributor like six days before it was due to go into cinemas. It was a very strange story and I don't actually know what fully went on there, but Netflix ended up picking it up and gave it a release. Okay. Um, and it's just come out on Netflix like two weeks ago or something. Yeah, because we, we talked about doing it. I found this to be a very uh, difficult film to watch. Um, I think because I felt like every minute it was trying really, really hard to tell me what to think and feel and like its kind of version of the world and I didn't agree with it most of the time and it was so like aggressively kind of cutesy mm. with its music choices and things like that that I found it very irritating. I oh, found this movie very irritating. That is a surprise. I loved it. I absolutely yeah. loved this. I liked it so much that when I watched it the first time, I put my screens down and paid attention to the movie, mm. which I, is not something I do often. I usually play a game or something. While I I'm had to keep reminding myself to pay attention to the movie. And at one point I looked at the time and I was like, oh, okay, we've still got 50 minutes of this movie left to go. And then I was like, oh, it's gone. God, it's been a while. And I looked at the time again and it had been seven minutes. Um, and I was like, oh, my God, how can we still have 43 minutes left of this movie to go? Yeah, I found that in the second viewing, actually, because I, I, I watched it a couple of weeks ago when it first came out and loved it. And then I watched it again today and I still like it. I still think it's really good. And I, I actually like the way the movie thinks and I like the way it tells me to think. And I feel it's very, um, very true to the spirit of the book, really very true um, to what the book is about. I haven't read the book. Right. Well, I have, but in French. So I may have missed a few points. We studied it when I was in year 10, so high school age, um, and we in my French class. So we went through it like over a whole term. We studied like page by page, learning all the vocab. And so I have read it and I really, I liked it when I read it. And I thought it was, a, it was, it's, it's a good book to do it actually at about age 16 or so, because it, it's, at that point in your life where you're starting to try and move away from being a child and you might you know and, and you're thinking about what you want to hold on to and you're not yet in the fully into the world of adults and I think it was a good it's a good age to read it at I just found this this movie was so anti-adulthood and anti-growing up in any way at all that I found it it was you remember when we saw um Inside Out mm. and I was like it, it's, it seems really torn on the process of growing up. And then at the end of the movie, there was a credit that was like to the kids and then it said, don't ever grow up. I don't, I don't think that this is against growing up. I think this is against becoming an automaton. To It's against like fitting yourself into the capitalist machine. I would love it if I felt that way as well, but I did not. I think that's what it wanted to be. But literally they de-aged the prince at the end like that. I mean, the whole thing just kind of seemed to me to be not about like figurative holding on to childhood, but literal holding on to childhood. Like I know, it, and it equated growing up with becoming an automaton and all that sort of stuff. If you grow up, that's what happens. Unless you're the aviator. Unless you're the aviator, right? Unless you've encountered the little prince. Yeah, or essentially, and, and, even, and the and if you are the prince and you grow up, but you um you'd never quite fit in again. I know, but he still 
they still did that. I mean, that was still, and, and literally in order to fix that, they made him a child again. And that, at that moment, I was like, no, no, this film has broken me and I do not like it. That I, up until that moment, at that point, there were still moments when I liked it, but I, it just, it was so heavy handed. Like the, the automaton stuff felt so heavy handed to me, the gray world and everybody was the same and every house was the same and all that sort of stuff. And I was like, it was so kind of negative about anything to do with adulthood and growing up and in any way. Mm, I, yeah, I think I liked that. Perhaps because I have a little too much of adulthood in my life. Like, I, unlike you, I don't get to spend a lot of time around kids and stuff. So I really appreciate any little kind of reminder of the colorfulness and happiness and the sparkliness of being a child. So I didn't mind that so much. And, and it is, after all, a kid's film. This isn't made for adults. It, it is made for kids. And so you have to kind of explain things to them. I did find it a tad long, though. I do agree with you on that. Um, when I watched it through the second time, I did exactly the same thing you did. I paused it and it was at 50 minutes and I was like, okay. And then I came back to it and then I made it had made it maybe five minutes more and I was like, really? God, That's this clearly the point where the movie kind of falls into yeah. the doldrums then because and, and I felt that if, that definitely there was a there was a middle so, f- middle yeah. of the film huge lull. So the problem the problem is, and I can tell you exactly what that moment is as well. That point is the point at which the little prince, the book ends. They t- he finishes the story of the little prince saving him and then going off to die. That bit ends and the rest of the film, there's like another 45 minutes after the actual story of the little prince is over where the aviator gets sick and all this other stuff. She flies off and finds the prince and does all this other stuff and that takes 45 minutes. Do you know, the stuff where she actually flies off and finds the prince was, I think, the most interesting part of the movie to me. That was yeah. Well, it gets good again, and and no, but you but, say it gets good again. But I I found the whole beginning part boring right. as well. I just I I don't the structure of it frustrated me. But yeah, it was really that kind of and and I look I like chi- like childhood. You know, I think it's good to be yeah. creative and to be all of that sort of thing. And I think that's important. I do. But I also think that growing up is important, and growing up well is important. And I think the thing that frustrated me about this movie was it doesn't give you really tips on how to grow up well. It just kind of says growing up is bad you must and and i don't think growing up to be like the aviator is a good thing because he completely neglectfully destroys her house he could have easily killed her a few times and he's presented as the kind of the hero of the story that you should grow up to be like him and i'm like no you can't just abdi- <laughs> like it's not either your all responsibility or your no responsibility you've got to find a line there and mm. so i just think and and the God, those musical choices that were so like quirky and guitar-y and I, did, I didn't mind the music. all of that music. In Every this. time they did that, I was like, <clears throat> yeah, I, did, I didn't mind it. Although there were a bit, um, there were some that were. It was very twee. Yeah. Um, I did, did like that. I actually thought it was a really interesting companion piece of all things to Bad Mums, which we watched uh, last week um, because of that anxious mothers and daughters thing where you see this like mm. over-anxious, overachieving mother put all that onto her daughter. And when I was reading the IMDb page, and so take this with whatever, however many grains of salt you need, I read that they actually changed the gender of the, the lead kid, um, that it was supposed to be a little boy when they were originally drafting the scripts and they turned it into a little girl. And I feel like it would have been an entirely different story if they told this with a little boy because that the anxious girls and overscheduled girls and, and girls being pushed to achieve is actually – um, and to like to do everything themselves and never ask for help and um, and plan out their lives and things like that. I think that was actually a really good part of the story and I thought that was really good. I really liked the bit where she's got – her mother has mapped out her life for her 
and she looks at this and this is just she's just like this is just some pins on a wall. Oh yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I definitely. Think, so I, think I mean, that was good. I I do think that was good as well. Like I didn't hate everything about this. And movie. the child had been and she'd been so drilled and rehearsed and practiced that when she got into her interview for the school, she had she wasn't able to improvise at all. Do you know what that reminded me of? That re- that stuff reminded me of um, Beyond the Lights. Mm, yes. Um, that kind of stuff. Actually, I really connected with the mother in this movie. I felt really bad for her. I was like, what happened to her that that, that she has feels well, like she has to her child has to succeed this way? Yeah, and I think that's actually to me that's interesting. That's an interesting story because clearly at some point the father has left and she, he's left her with this kid, and she has all her life. She's a bit of a Hermione. She's always been organized. She's always done her best. She's always tried to work hard and be better. And the mother has never quite come to terms with the fact that that no amount of hard work or dedication will outrun the quirkiness of the world and the difficulty of the world. But that's the thing is that the world that they live in is so aggressively grey and so there's nothing in it that is – and I, I think it might just be trying to tell it from her perspective, mm-hmm. but I just found it really frustrating. Like, you know, she listens to the news on the car radio and it's like, oh, it rained and some people were late to work. And I'm like, that's that's, nev- that's never on the news. The news is much more depressing than that. No, but awful. that's the point, though. The point is that from her perspective, a lot of what is on the news doesn't make a lot of sense. And this is this is written like when the world was at war. So I'm pretty sure the news was pretty horrible. No, but this, this was written. But the but framing device was not written when the world was at war. The framing device doesn't exist. No, I know that it doesn't, but it's actually using clips from the book, the bits the bits that they say on the radio. So, but it, they're all from the kids' perspective. It's like that's those are taken from things the little prince has seen of the world. It's what he thinks people do all day is that they sit and they count their things. And this person counted more things than this person. Right. So no, I got. I yeah, I get that yeah. stuff. It was the. I just found it so like. It was so yeah, really negative about adulthood and growing up. And I don't think <laughs> maybe that's I'm feeling message. a little bit negative about being an adult. At the but moment. I don't think that's a message that we want to give kids. No, well, and I've need- seen it a few times lately, and it does upset me. I don't think we want to give kids the message that it's bad to grow up. No, but we do want to give them the message that it's bad to grow up and forget all the fun of childhood and forget the magic and forget how to be imaginative and creative and innovative. Yeah, and to grow up like the aviator. No thanks. Well, no. I mean, he, or, or can never see grow she's up like not the little going, prince. She's like, not going to grow up like the aviator. She's going to be somewhere in between that and her mother. But there is no in between in this movie. Well, that we see, but but at the end when she's taking the book back to him in the hospital, he's in the hospital. So he has accepted the need to deal with, you know, his health problems and he needs to go to hospital and he needs to live in that. He needs to be there. So he's kind of mellowed there a bit. And her mother has mellowed a little bit and he's, is willing to go off schedule and visit the hospital and let her kid. But there's no point at which the, the old man doesn't, like, refuses to go to hospital or anything like that. No, no, that. I know he doesn't, but it's it's almost I didn't like. Fi- like, there's no when part he- of that story that the mother does mellow. But like but we when, don't see the turning point for her either. Well, but he, no, but he is accepting the inevitability of certain aspects of adulthood, i.e., death and old age. So he he is kind of I, I don't think know he is if mellowing. it presents the old age. I, I don't know if it presents death as a part of adulthood either. But it, it sort of how can I explain? Like it doesn't. It, he doesn't accept. He he always kind of accepted death. Actually, I kind of felt like. There was a whole story there that wasn't told where the aviator actually had a son and the son died and the son was the little prince and like, yeah. and he had to learn to accept his son's death and he was trying to teach 
like that to the little girl so that she'd accept his death and stuff like mm. that. That I don't know. That's, Maybe I was just making up stories in my head no, because I, mean, I found this one so frustrating. Well, it is but. possible because the the book itself is based on something that really happened to Santa Exuberi. He crashed his plane in the desert. I think he was with somebody else, but they crashed in the desert and they were pretty close to death when somebody found them mm. and was able to help them find water and get back to sanctuary. Um, and he did eventually die in a plane crash. He, his plane just disappeared over an ocean um, during the war. So, and nobody knows what happened to him. But um, I don't think he ever had any kids. Um, but it, it was actually kind of based on something that really did happen. But that's I okay. think that's an interesting story, the one about the son. But it's also about like him going through a particular transition in his life and all the, mm. any other kind of metaphor you could sort of think of there. But that's, a, that's not a bad one. And I think this is sort of the problem with the story is that it's really, really short book. Like it's mm. quite a spare book. It's a kid's book. Yeah, this and, definitely felt padded. And the yeah, and and the framing device, which I thought was quite clever and sweet, it's too it's too long, and it it's not a hugely long movie. It's only an hour and forty five minutes. It felt so which much is the same length to me. as the last one we watched, which was um, Kubo. Kubo. Yeah, but I liked Kubo. And, I found Kubo yeah, very enjoyable, and which is a watch. good. It's not a bad length for a kids movie, but this could have been easily like maybe. 45 80 minutes. minutes shorter. Yeah. It probably could have been about 80 minutes long and it probably would have been fine as well. But, yeah, they're, they're trying to exp- expand on this little book. It's actually a similar problem to a few years ago. There was a Where the Wild Things Are story. I liked that movie. Uh, it, yeah, it was okay, but it also kind of dragged. It, it had to it had to drag out like this kid's picture book into a 90-minute yeah, movie that and was, it struggled. To me, that was a mu- – for me, I think Where the Wild Things Are, the movie, was really kind of much more focused on like – the feeling and the aesthetic and stuff and not plot. Hmm. Um, yeah. It was it was a very kind of emotion-driven movie and it was really moody. Maybe it didn't work this, so great the, But this stuff, but feels, yeah. this really picks the – I think this really captures the spirit of the book, though, or the spirit of the story and the spirit that they're going for. I actually – see, I found the Little Prince uh, story within the story much more interesting – um, firstly, there was the animation style, which was really cool. Oh, the paper stop motion. That was amazing. Yeah. And the little allegories were neat. You could tell that they were little allegories, mm. you know, and that was kind of cool. And, and you know, they were nice and short, so it didn't feel quite, I, I guess, yeah. quite as long. And the thing is, I really wanted to connect with the little girl. And there were moments when I was like, I liked the scene where she takes the fox and she goes over and she tries to, you know, get him to go in the plane with her mm. and then he tells her the end of the story and she's not ready to hear it and she gets really mad and mm. she vacuums up all of her stars in her room she throws the fox and stuff yep i liked that um and i as i said i liked the bit at the end of the movie where she goes to the little prince's world yeah that bit where she at the end when she finally gets into his backyard she take the plane takes off where he's got this rube goldberg machine and the light and, and then the rainbow lights the runway up and she takes yep. the, that was beautifully done yes and then she, when she's up there, the fox, you can see all the glowing stuff on mm, the, I like yeah. all of that. Um, that was also visually my favorite part, apart from the yeah. flashbacks. I thought visually the movie kind of was not very um, – it wasn't very – there were some parts that were really adventurous and other parts that were really too safe. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the little girl looks so much like the little girl from Inside Out and like any – Any other. Yeah. And I, the, the fact that they all looked th- – that had that kind of cartoony mm. look in the present – I was like, why? What's the point of that? Um, why not be yeah. adventurous? But whatever. And the best bits of animation were in, in um, the aviator's place, like her crawling through the fence into his yard, through all the trees, and there's like 1930s music playing and all that kind of stuff yeah. when, when we actually go inside his house as well. Um, yeah. But, I mean, the book is the strongest part of it because it is that's the bit that we're adapting really, isn't yeah. it? It's, it would be interesting actually to watch 
like the 12-minute stop motion. Do you know what? I'm just thinking about it now. And I think the biggest problem with it is that it takes allegories to literally in the present day modern world part. I think that's the problem is that the book is allegorical, right? Yeah. It's not a direct narrative what, like what mm. they're trying to adapt it into. And I think ultimately the problem is that they're trying to make allegory real and that creates these kind of that kind of oversimplification of things. I think maybe that's just ultimately the problem that I had with it is that it there's no there's no nuance there. Mm. There isn't any nuance in her world. Mm. Nothing. And she doesn't learn any either. She learns kind of to accept that he's dying, but she doesn't learn any nuance about the world. She doesn't kind of and she decides to go to the academy at the end as well and you're like it's a it's kind of the stuff that she's doing in this imaginative world doesn't quite equate to the real world in the end. Well, I, to me that felt like her recognising the compromises of the real world and recognising that she is going to the academy and that's something that is important to her, but that she still can hang on to the other stuff and do that. I'd love it if the movie made me felt that way. Okay. You <laughs> Feel know, that way. Like I'd love it if the movie kind of told me that that was what was going on. I didn't get like – at that point, I was like, but this is literally the opposite of what just seemed to be happening. But again, uh, yeah, I feel like it's because well, they're trying to do, right. like, because the story's not yeah, and it's, meant it's, to be real. And it's, well, it's about... It's meant to inspire yeah. thought and and Well, yeah, and I feelings. don't think it's quite as literally... Yes, it is. And I don't think it's quite lit as literally about not growing up as you do. I think it's about taking some of those childish things into your into the grimness of the world. And I think it's interesting also to kind of think about this is a book written during wartime mm. when there were children growing up well ahead of their time mm. and being exposed to extreme grimness every day and like being able to take one or two little things from from being children I into their like world. I feel like did a better job of that actually. <laughs> um, just literally that thing that you just yeah. said is very much what children forced similar. to grow up too fast. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I just, yeah, I don't Which know. Is, I found it really. Yeah. And it was an interesting thing circle to try and square with her being the sort of overscheduled modern kid who actually has the opposite problem, not of growing up too fast or, uh, but of, well, in some ways of growing up too fast, but in other ways of being way too sheltered by mm -hmm. the parents who are trying to encourage them to grow up a bit faster and to become responsible and adult and scheduled and organized. They're actually being sheltered from all the messiness of the world. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that's interesting too, because you've got this, there's a metaphor about cleaning in there somewhere because the prince turns out to be a janitor at the end in that she's in this perfectly clean world the aviator is in this kind of dirty world and the prince sort of sits somewhere in between trying to clean up and, and make the the clean world actually what he's, he's doing the work behind the scenes to make the clean world actually clean you've done something else there you've reminded me something else there too the um rose tormented him with her vanity and that's why he left in the in the story of the little prince, for mm. some reason that stuck with me and really annoyed me through the whole. Well, thing. That, that bugged me too because I'd forgotten about it from reading the book. I remembered most of the other stuff, but I'd forgotten yeah. that bit somehow. In the allegory, there's one female character, and her entire point is to be pretty. And then when he admires how pretty she is, she becomes too vain mm -hmm. and torments him by being vain. Yeah. When like the, basically the comment on her was that she has to be pretty. I was like, mm. okay. Well, you know, there's a metaphor for women's lives if ever there was yeah. one. Your only purpose is to be pretty, but if you think you're pretty, you're the worst. Yeah, and to hothouse that. She's hothoused as well, much like the um the 
well, I don't know what her name is, the girl. There, she doesn't have, she doesn't a, have a name. None right. of the characters have names. Um, yeah, and she's hothoused as well. Like that. I mean, she's she asks for that, but she's also kind of like stuck in this little greenhouse of a thing, mm. growing up and becoming, you know, a rose before her time. And then he gets so bored of having to deal with that that he just runs off. Yep. And then comes back and she's dead. Well, of course she's dead. You just left her there and forgot about her for years. Yes, because she was vain. That annoyed he, he, yeah. She tormented him with her vanity. Oh, God, I just didn't like that. Um. Anyway, with regards – oh, that's right. Um. Or, again, they've done this thing where they cast a lot of recognisable voices yep. that didn't necessarily work, although I thought Paul Rudd was fantastic as the adult Mr. Prince. Yeah. Like spot on, made him so likeable. But uh, the thing that got me was immediately recognizing Ricky Gervais's voice. Uh-huh. And how is it that he can be so annoying just hearing his voice? Right. I did exactly the same thing. It was a bit like when there's a, he's got a movie out and then we saw the trailer come yeah, on. Yeah, both and of us Literally, like, we both went, Ugh. But, I, yeah, I – so when I watched this with my husband again, and he did, we both did exactly the same thing. We both heard Ricky Gervais and went, ooh. And then he continues to be annoying, like in the background of other scenes where he's like, com- com- yeah, yeah, you can, he- uh, and because you can but, hear him yeah. everywhere because he's so recognizable. And I, I get the idea of casting someone who's recognizably annoying to be someone who is annoying, but it's almost too much with him. If yeah. it had been some a less well-known actor that his voice you didn't recognize, yeah, that would have helped. It, it's really grating. His really bits. grating. And he and his little comments when the king, that not the king, is it the king or no the oh yeah yeah the he's, he's like talking. an extra in someone's scene where he he's got like background yeah yeah and he's he like has policeman all these little or something sides and you're like shut up I'm trying to enjoy the scene you're so annoying yeah um and there were other ones like they cast um, Benicio del Toro and Marion Cotillard and a bunch of other people. Marion Cotillard was the Rose, yeah, um, and things like that. And there was one uh, James Franco played one character, and I was the like, Fox. oh, it's James Franco. Yeah, and instantly, instantly knew who that was. I thought that was actually a good casting choice. For he, James Franco was the fox. That worked for me. It did, but it took me out of it a little bit just because it was recognisable. But the fox was all right. I mean, it just kind of um, – and the, I thought actually there was some interesting stuff around the fox being I'm not um, tame and mm-hmm. if I become tame then like – then we'll need each other and things like that. Really interesting ideas. Yeah, yeah. That was a really good skit. Yeah. I I think that must be from the book as well. Yes. But that was an interesting idea that they could have engaged with that yeah. didn't. Right. Um, like I, th- I think most of the most interesting ideas that I found in this movie were not engaged with. Well, all that they decided to do was like childhood is great. Being an adult sucks. It's the worst thing that you could possibly be. Be afraid of being an adult. Mm. Never have any responsibility. I just felt it was so kind of – I found it so grating, like that stuff and the music and the sort of cutesy right. aspects of it. I found so grating that, like, it kind of ruined a lot of other ideas for me. Like, even if they were trying to do other ideas, that kind of irritated me so much that I wasn't open to them. Right. Yeah. No, I understand what you mean. Uh, I think it would it would be interesting to have actually seen this with actual kids. I wonder how mm. kids would react to it. Because they're probably not going to have some of the problems that you have with um, oversimplification and over-explaining, uh, particularly in the younger end, like in the sort of Yeah, but at the same time, age. I don't know that I want them to see this movie and think of the world that way. Mm. Sad. There are lots of great th- like yeah. you know, And the thing is, kids probably already are seeing the world like that. You, they're kind of like routines and schedules and driving. Yeah, and there definitely is a problem with over-scheduling kids. I, yeah. So I feel like when they don't treat that kind of as, I don't know, I felt like they, they 
lumping that in with all the other stuff that they were talking about just kind of dulled the impact of it for me. Mm. You know, like that really, I I did get sad when the mother was overscheduling her. Mm. And I was kind of like, you, you kind of want to talk to the mother and just be like, hey, do you know that what you're doing to your kid? This isn't great. Yeah. You know? And you also see her overscheduling herself and you're like, just come home when you're yeah. finished, you know, come home at five o'clock. I think your kid would like that. Exactly. And there's a bit where the kid does say to her, you're just like him, you're, you're never here. Yeah. Which is really interesting. And would have been an interesting idea to interrogate. Well, well, that is an interesting idea because um, when kids take a lot of their anger out on the parent who's still there as opposed to the one who has left them. Yeah, but also her finally realizing that maybe it's not the greatest idea to do all this stuff. And you can see that she mm. does love her kid, but she just isn't realizing what she's doing to her. No, no. Well, that's the problem. The problem is that she loves her kid and she's too scared to give up control and she thinks that if she gives up any semblance of control over anything like it, even the reason she goes back to work one day is because other people have been working on something and they haven't done it to her standards like she's got this um, this thing about not not being able to relinquish control and again there's a really interesting story in like women in the world today feeling like they can't give up control of any of the different pies they've got their fingers in harking back to bad mums a little bit there in that, like, mm. she has to have control of everything, including the kid's life. Um, you, there's even a line about how this is my plan for your life. But, yeah, it is interesting. And those are interesting ideas. I'd be, you know, I'm interested in those kinds of ideas. But it's, you know, I've talked about this before and in a lot of movies. There's that, the the concept of, a like, the world all being the same always frustrates me Mm. um like this world where every single adult is an automaton the people across the road nobody likes this old man because he's weird and kooky Mm. and all that sort of stuff yeah the whole neighborhood's against him yeah exactly all of that stuff always in every movie like in dystopian futures i talked about it too and all of that sort of stuff where there's like this they they apply universality to things that aren't universal i think we this came up in bad moms as well yeah, and I don't know why they feel the need to do that all the time in movies. Yeah. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's necessary because they do it to just be like, the world is terrible, but there's only a few special people like you in the world that make it good. And I'm like, I don't like that idea. Yeah, it's – um, yeah. Cause I it, think Because it is – it's actually – and particularly the book is quite, like, metaphorical. It's quite nuanced. There's a lot of interpretations you could read into it. So – it would make sense in a movie like this where it's dealing with some like big issues around life and death and why we're all here kind of stuff to actually build in some of that nuance. Yeah. Because like I said earlier on, I actually think that this is – while this is a kid's book, it's actually kind of a, a book that is well well suited to like older, the older mm. end of kid, like upper middle school or even high school age kids would probably get a lot out of it um, because they can actually deal with the, the subtleties and the – nuance of it all and the thing is ultimately it's a really negative view of the world that they're giving kids when they or giving people when they do that sort of thing when they create this monolith of everybody else um it it seems like a really negative view of humanity it seems like that's the the trend in kids movies though because we talked about this with pixar but kubo didn't do it no kubo didn't do it but kubo is from a studio that's actually doing something interesting and original with kids with films. pixar too like um finding dory doesn't do that finding dory had a very positive view of humanity mm. of of well of fish manatee um <laughs> but you know like there's there's movies that yeah some movies do that but i i don't like i think it's lazy writing for any movie or any book or anything like that when they go all of the public 
uh, like everybody else in the entire world has all thought this one way. Yeah, because you objectify people. Yeah. You just make the mass of humanity into a mass of humanity instead of it being like made up of billions of little individuals who each have their own story and their own hopes and dreams and fears and things that go wrong. Yeah, and I think you could either – there's you know when they talk about all the terrible things that happen in the world and then there's – um I think it was Mr. Rogers mm. that says look for the helpers. Yeah. Look for the people who are helping. Look for the good people. And the thing is you always find those guys as well. Yeah. Even in a world of automatons, you find weirdos, not just one, no, but many lots of, of weirdos. Them, lots of people who don't fit into that. You find lots of people who are like creative still as adults and find trouble fitting that into their lives. And that's a nuanced thing. That's well, and not any, an everybody yeah. is the same. And any time we try and think about humans as behaving in a certain way, like economics, for example, is all about saying that humans will act in certain predictable ways. And it's consistently being proven wrong because mm. humans do not act in consistent, reliable, predictable ways because yeah. they just don't. And they're not, they're not always motivated by the same things and they have different motivations and different reasons and different um, biases that make them work in different ways. Right. And that's always, that's always kind of the issue with any of these sorts of things where they universalize any of these experiences and these adult, this adult kind of world. And, and yeah, it does feel that way sometimes. It is really hard sometimes, you know, but that doesn't mean it's this miserable gray. It's like, fun. It's, I think it's more the, the, that kind of movie is more made for adults, isn't it? Like it's made for people who have spent too long worrying about their mortgage payments and like kind of thinking well, maybe I should bring a little bit more of that childhood magic into my life. I guess, but it's also my, my other problem with it is that it's showing that well, like if that is from the point of view of the child, hmm. then don't we want to bring that child's point of view into a place where it's more positive and happy by the end of it, where it's more nuanced, where it's more interesting rather than reinforcing that idea? Isn't that what we would we would want to aspire to, to mm. start out with this grey automaton world, but by the end of it, the world sort of has colour popping into it and she realises that there are some good things and some bad things? Wouldn't that be? Well, yeah. So I think, it's, it's, I think the thing is the de-aging of the prince is the moment when that kind of loses all of that. Right. Like you don't have to de-age the prince. He can come back and discover all of these things and rediscover that as an adult. And then that can be the kind of adult that she aspires to be rather than making him a little boy again. I think they're going for the metaphor of he's a little boy in all of us and I get that. But from the point of view of a kid, they're not going to get that. They're just going to see that you can't be an adult and be happy and fun and have all of these kind of interesting ideas. He has to be a kid again to do that. Mm. Right? Yeah, I do think they redeem the mother a bit, but yeah. They I know do you redeem don't. the mother a bit, but again, like there's no kind of where is that moment? Where do we see that? Ha like why does that happen? What is the part that, you know, all that we see is the mother at the end of it watches the stars with her daughter. Why does she do that? What's the choice that she made there? Well, you you know, but you build up to that because you see her like knock on the door and she's lost the connection with her kid and she spends a whole night awake worrying about the kid and then the kid's like, nope come on, get up, we've got to go here and we've got to go here and we've got to do this and they go to the hospital and then, like, I I think that builds up that moment to where they actually do stop and look at the stars together. Okay, I didn't, f I just felt like the, the mother kind of, they the movie lost interest in her as a character and didn't care I, I enough about her I don't think it served her character. as well as it should have, but it, uh, yeah. I feel like I we it. should have actually had, because it's such a long movie, how can they not have time for a scene where the mother actually talks to her daughter and says, I understand that we were overscheduling you and this is a hard time for you and yeah, stuff. Yeah, let's, let it, well, yeah, but much like they do in um in Bad Moms where she says, let's quit the Mandarin class. Right. Would it kill them? This is such a long movie. Yeah. They could. <laughs>
could have could have worked anyway. anyway. I just I just felt like this movie's message was not one that I agree with. Mm. It's not one that I felt like it was something that I could get behind as a movie for kids. You know, mm. I just didn't. And there were certain things about it that I did enjoy, but that made me more frustrated that it wasn't as interesting as I hoped it would be mm. or as good as I hoped it would be. Mm. Well, I, yeah, I thought it was sweet and fun. Although, yeah, on second viewing, I had some issues with the um, that pacing. Yeah, that middle bit. Yeah, <laughs> the drop in the middle. Uh, so what are you giving it? Um, I'm going to give The Little Prince two – I'm torn between two and two and a half stars. So at moments when it was really pretty and I liked it, but for the most part, I did not. <laughs> okay. I'm going to give it two stars. Okay. I'm going to give it four stars. By the time I re- write the review, you may see two and a half. I'm sorry. Sometimes I'm fickle like that. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you would like to read our show notes or find old episodes, they're on our website, silverscreenqueens.com. If you want to read Katie's review of The Little Prince, it's it'll be up on her blog, silverscreenqueen.wordpress.com. Yeah, in like six months or something. I'm so far behind. <laughs> and if you want to find us on social media, we're at screen underscore queens on Twitter, facebook.com forward slash silverscreenqueens on Facebook and tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com dot com on tumblr thank you for listening bye bye